Welcome back to Metal Beer and Bullshit. Grab a beer, grab a seat, and enjoy some metal, beer, and steaming piles of bullshit. beer drinkers and bullshitters i hope you guys had a happy and safe new year this is sean i wanted to just pop on and introduce our first new episode of the season uh of the new year i should say uh this is episode 51 we had an opportunity to talk to jason netherton of misery index it was a great interview and i hope you guys enjoy it without further ado here we go Hey, Metalheads, Beer Drinkers, and Bullshitters, this is Sean. I'm Juan. This is BN. And we're here on a special Skype call with Mr. Jason Netherton of Misery Index. Hello. <laughs> How you doing today, Jason? I'm doing good. Um, here uh, in Helsinki, Finland, it's about 6 o'clock. It's dark. It's very cold and snowy. So the day's kind of winding down to an end here. But I'm having a beer here, chilling out in my uh, shop and uh, looking forward to chatting. Nice, we are too. It's got to talk to you briefly at the uh, the show at the Auto Bar the other week for about five minutes with a pretty good buzz on. So it's not always the best conversation to have, but I'm glad we got a hold of you. Yeah, I'm glad too. Uh, amazing show, by the way. Uh, for anyone that wasn't there, it was um, Pig Destroyer, you guys, and Nomas, Nomas, and I forget the first band's name. We got there late. Drugs uh, well, Dave. Yes. And uh, it was a phenomenal show, like absolutely amazing. Got to be there for the filming of the new video you guys are going to be putting out. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was uh, it was it was great to do. It, you know, we haven't really done much of anything the last two years, so it's a miracle it all kind of came together. We didn't know if we were going to pull it off. I mean, even right down to like a couple of days before, uh, one of our band members actually got COVID the week before, so we were kind of like in limbo, waiting for him to get over it and get tested and get the clear paperwork or whatever so we can go ahead so i already had a flight back to uh there and everything so i was already going to be there and we had already had kind of like a lot invested up front as far as like time and energy and you know trying to make it make that video shoot happen so we lucked out and uh two days before he got the negative the negative results and, and we went ahead and everything worked out fine so it was killer you ain't really living if you ain't living on the edge right yeah it was <laughs> You know, everything's just been so uncertain the last couple of years, and there's been a lot of cancellations and other things, things we were going to try to do. So just to, to have that happen was kind of like a little small victory for at the end of uh, 2021 to have something cool happen. And <laughs> it was kind of strange, you know, being at the show and I, everyone has the mask on. Everything was the first time I've experienced that. And it was the first we did do we did do some shows. Uh, a show earlier uh, in the year. There's this festival out west called. Uh, full terror assault pulled it off kind of like way out in the middle of nowhere in southern illinois and and um <clears throat> and we played that this year and like well, it was it was a lot of fun like, i think it's like one of the only kind of outdoor fests like that in the u.s and that was fun to do so really it was just that show and the auto bar show is the only thing we've done since march of 2020 so it was cool uh, touching touching on a couple of those things like so first of all like how how was it for you getting flights out of help out of finland i i mean i keep track of the uk because that's where all my in-laws are from and i know that's kind kind of a pain in the ass flying in and out you know with the constantly changing regulations how's finland 
Um, yeah, it's it was diff- I've, I, I came there earlier this year for like a family emergency kind of thing, and that was and that was like in the spring, and it was really difficult to get a flight. Um, but basically, because I have residency here, and I have you know, I still have a U.S. passport, I can go and go between both countries fine, no matter what the rules are. But I just have to get uh, you know, I had to get a test before I get on the plane. So you just kind of like schedule like your uh, you know, the tests like within 48 hours of departure, and you'll get that, you get the paperwork ready, and it's just a lot more hassle you know there's a lot of paperwork to be checked and, and everyone's kind of like on edge a bit so it's it's not i mean so it just adds like a lot more anxiety and tension to international travel which you already get and in this environment it's even worse so i mean it's you know it takes a, it's like an eight hour flight to new york and then a connecting flight to maryland dc so it was it's over pretty quickly once you kind of get on the plane yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot going on. That's another reason why there's just what there's there wasn't hardly any flights for you know to get to. Uh, I mean, there's there's flights, but you know they have ridiculous like connecting times and layover times, and it takes like. 20 hours kind of thing where you're flying to Detroit or something and then back here and there. But you can get uh, Helsinki, Finnair still has uh, nonstop flights, one every day between New York and Helsinki. So that was just a lot easier to take that and then and get something from there to DC. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it's the whole thing with the masks and everything. How So how strange was that for you being up on stage and just looking down and seeing this sea of masks? Yeah. <laughs> It was the first time for sure. Uh, um, you know, I understand, I understand it. And, you know, and I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's, uh, it's, I know it's uncomfortable after a while, but if that's what it takes to do so we can have a show, then, then I'm glad it, it happened. It's a small thing to ask if it keeps people safe and keeps, and you can pull off the show, then that's awesome. Yeah. But yeah. It was, it was a weird. Yeah. I mean, generally people grumble about it, but they, gen- you know, they do it and put up with it. I mean, we were at, we went to see Judas Priest a while back. You know, that was a whole show of people with masks and it was nothing but bitching the whole time until you know sabaton came on and then everybody kind of shut up <laughs> yeah it's, i mean everybody's tired of it everybody's just so tired of this whole thing and you know whatever it takes to kind of move ahead you know i'm hoping that we're, we're kind of like over the worst of it so hoping this year is gonna start taking a turn for the best so kind of switching gears away from the depressing topic, um, how are you guys doing? I know you guys are wrapping up a new album. Do you guys have any tours in the works yet, or are you just kind of holding off to see what the situation is? Uh, we've been planning stuff the whole time, you know, and as, and as the months go by and it doesn't look like it's going to be ready, then they get kind of canceled or put off. Uh, but right now we've, we have we have a spring tour like in May. Like our new album's supposed to be out in May, like May 22nd or something like that, or timeline sticks. It's, it's it's being mixed now, so hopefully we're gonna keep the keep the release date. And um, we were planning the tour in May, um, you know, like two or three weeks in the U.S. where we haven't toured for since 2019, I think. And you know, we haven't been out west in the U.S. since like even longer, like 2016, I think. So we were gonna do that, and then you know, we have we have a number of uh, European summer festivals booked and some runs around that, and a headline headlining tour in Europe in fall. You know, all this is kind of tentative. You know, these festivals are booked and they have their lineups and everything's just kind of waiting for things to happen. So that's that's what we have on the plate. And, uh, you know, all we can do is just uh, get the album together and get it ready and, and get it out. So that's the main thing we've been working on. Is that album coming out on Season of Mist? 
or is that a, a year label? No, we actually left Season of Miss. Oh, okay. In 2020 and signed with Century Media. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, we're stoked. And, um, we have a little bit more resources available to make things even a little better on our end on the creative side, and and you know we're, we've already filmed like a number of videos for this for some of the tracks, and and we're looking forward to work with them. And and, and the album's done. It's going to be nine songs, and uh, we're really stoked about it. You know, I just got one of the first mixes back today, and it's it's pretty killer. You know, I mean, we always like to seek to please ourselves first and foremost, and once we're happy with it, then we can turn it over to the masses and see if anyone else likes. Now, with being on Century Media, I mean, you you guys have been on Relapse and, uh, like I said, Season of Mist. What, what's the difference between all these different labels? Um, well, it used to be... Uh, um, a lot of them used to be, almost all of them were independent, large independent metal labels like in the group, you know, strong in the 90s from Century Media to Nuclear Blast, and Metal Blade and Relapse. And as the record industry consolidated in the 2000s, you know, uh, those labels uh, got picked up by majors. I'm not sure who, I, I know Relapse and Century Media are part of Sony and um, I'm not sure who Nuclear Blast is, I can't remember, but I think Metal Blade might still be independent, but they might be distributed by Sony. I think, I- Anyway, that's right. uh, one thing about Season of Mist is they are one of the largest they um, remaining kind of like fully, totally independent like metal labels, I think, left, um, which is, it was really cool. And we did two albums with them and we had a, had a good experience, but we were growing and uh, and they helped us grow. And, and when it just came down to, to resources and promotion at this point, you know, we've been doing this for a while and we just uh, had an offer from Century Media and it, and it gave a, a little bit more in those departments. So we uh, moved over to them and ultimately there isn't too much to answer your question it's, it's you know once you get to like that level of nuclear blast and relapse they're all kind of like on the same kind of level i think um as far as what they can do and then, you know it's kind of you know like i said i know relapse and century meter are both sony subsidiaries so they're almost they're also kind of you know tied to the same kind of corporate whatever owner or whatever so i mean that's that's about where it is i mean <laughs> do you find still- kind of being with one of these bigger labels that i mean as far as the you know versus seasons like the distribution is better do you think it'll it'll, it'll get your albums out to a wider audience or yeah definitely they have a, a, a much faster network through their through the through the sony um, distribution network and um, and we we just have uh, it's promotion is the main thing too they were able to you know we were able to actually have music videos and, and have them properly funded and stuff and other things which in this highly mediated environment more important than ever to have like that kind of whatever as they call it content to uh, to put out there and, and get, get your band noticed amongst the sea of, of uh, thousands of other bands um, but you know we don't take it too seriously you know we, we do the band part time and and we and the label itself is still relatively a small independent operation in the larger scheme of things. So them being a subsidiary of a bigger label has its benefits, but it doesn't. It's not like you know we have to. There's any other. There's pressure to, to do anything more than we have done before, you know, or change anything. So do you? You touched on a couple of subjects I was going to get onto anyway, but um, one of them first and foremost, like you guys have just consistently put out. I mean, you came out of the gate strong right from the beginning and just consistently put out better and better albums like you know each one better than the last um how do you consistently write these amazing albums well thanks i know that's um, kind of a loaded question but <laughs> no that's cool i'm glad you like them that's uh you know our goal is this we like I, as i said a little earlier we just kind of uh, go into 
it. And I think as you know, we've learned, we just learned from as we've gone along, like we've been doing this for a while. So we kind of have a kind of innate, uh, innate understanding of like how we like to write songs and the kind of songs we want to hear and the kind of death metal we like to hear and the kind of varied influences that we put into it um, from punk, hardcore, grind, traditional metal, all it gets kind of uh, bound up in, in the way we approach death metal. So um, you know, the songwriting, we, we're lucky that all of us um, are pretty creative and we all bring you know our own songs to the to the band each album we tend to uh each of us tends to have a few like i i think i have three of them on the new album mark has like five and darren has two and adam also gets songwriting credit on all the songs because he's he plays a critical role in uh arranging the songs for example if darren like brings that kind of like a riff pile loose ideas for a song adam will take sit down and has like a really good uh understanding of how to put things together and structurally so so i guess like um it's just we're we're just fortunate that we have you know everybody in the band kind of puts uh brings a lot to to the creative process so it's it's not kind of relying on one main songwriter and the the pressure's off each of us to kind of we don't have to worry about you know writing the whole album ourselves this kind of thing so you know all that kind of combined with the longevity and and what we've been doing and it just i guess we just kind of strive to write better music and that's if it's working out and people like it that's cool oh no for sure i mean it's kind of i had read an interview with you that you had done a while back and you kind of touched on it here but the the oversaturation of the death metal scene like i know i think you had referenced like 94 95 by that point it was so oversaturated with bands and that's about the point where i kind of fell off and stopped even trying to find any new music i was just listening to the older stuff at that and it was again you know in the 2000s really when you started hearing a lot more innovative bands and you guys are one of those bands all the influences you bring to bear and it works really well it's where a lot of bands you can point to and say oh well they're kind of influenced by this and that you guys meld it really well into your own unique thing yeah thanks i mean i don't don't think we're we're not reinventing anything so (laughs) it just comes down to songwriting and and the good riff that's like the philosophy that the core of it is like okay well you know what what's the basic kind of driving hook of this song and the riff and it's kind of that's to me that's what metal is and it just goes back to traditional 80s metal and the power of like a you know a good powerful riff and then we kind of carry that forward and and we work out from that i saw that you grew up you know just outside uh dc so i'm, I'm assuming Rothschild america played a, a part in your upbringing <laughs> yeah that was my actually my first mosh was at seeing Rothschild when they were still called Rothschild at uh and Wilmer's this place called Wilmer's Park in Southern Maryland and Brandywine they used to have like these metal shows at this kind of like almost, I don't know it looked like a, hor- a horse farm farm oh uh, you been there yeah I was there I was there one time I seen uh, Cannibal Corpse Gore Guts and uh, it was supposed to be Atheist but uh, it was, right. it was yeah, the first time I, was, I seen uh, Deceased there yeah I was at that show oh shit cool What's your birth tour? Yeah, I got pictures from that and all, and, and uh, but yeah, um, yeah, like that was place for like a lot of those kind of shows, and and my first like high school kind of adventures there, like uh, it was always cool because they would serve you underage. I remember, so <laughs> I thought I was special that night. <laughs> it was like this. I mean, the place was famous because it was like one of these like uh, Chitlin Circuit kind of like uh, places, like for in the old like for the old South, like for um, R and B musicians or soul musicians to come and play through, and they saw the same owner. But he was he was open to all kinds of music, and he, he would let the death metal shows get booked there and everything, and just roll with it. And it was uh, it was one of a, one of a kind place for sure. Yeah, <laughs> a, lot good, a lot of good 
where he's there. Yeah, th- those places are dying breeds anymore. There ain't too many of them left. You know, half hour outside of Washington, D.C., but it was out, you know, out in the tobacco field somewhere. But it was, uh, yeah, you know, between there and like places like the Bayou and 930 Club and, and some other like more notorious places. <laughs> yeah, we all, it's, and I remember we interviewed King from Deceased and he talked about some of that stuff. It was, that was pretty cool. It's, it's cool hearing like, you know, stories from different areas like we all had ours from up in this area and we all used to go up to new york city a lot as well and you know a lot of those places are closed too i got i got what what's your area oh we're exactly. uh we're we're kind of just about an hour west of philadelphia okay so we is I mean, that like lancaster or something or well no, yeah no. we're kind of between lancaster and and philly yeah we're reading just Redding. yeah just outside reading reading pennsylvania oh, right. so kind of had allentown reading and then philly obviously and you know the chameleon club in lancaster and we would always a lot of us would go up to new york city as well like lamore and the ritz and right so we got the that was our education when it came to to a lot of this music you know because some of the bands you had to go to new york city to see it's deep when deicide came through we went to see them on the legion tour up there that was it was pretty cool going to seeing the who's who of death metal hanging out at lamore you know to see deicide <laughs> yeah i remember that tour was it was it with like was that the one with like suffocation or vader or dismember or something else? vader and uh vader and dismember yeah that's the one yeah that was that was pretty amazing that was you're walking around and there's danny Lilker and I, mean, the, I think the guys from Ripping Corpse were walking around at that show and it was pretty cool. Right on, yeah. Yeah, I saw that show in DC, the Bayou, old Bayou. Um, speaking of old shows and, and from being around the Baltimore area, one band that I feel has been very glazed over going back in that old era there, um, Fear of God. Tell me you've seen them. Uh, I can't remember. Like, I've seen so many bands and I remember them back in the day and of course, um, I knew uh, of uh, the connection with Detente and um, and I, did, I guess she was from the area and came back from LA and started the band with some members. I knew the drummer and actually a member of Misery Index was actually, yes, yeah, Sparky was in Fear of God for a minute, the ex-member of Misery Index, like in a late, in a mid-90s incarnation. Okay. But yeah, I, I remember the band and I'm like, I uh, thought it was cool. At that time, when when the within, within the Veil, I think, is the first record came out like uh um you know i was kind of like deep in the death metal hole then so i was kind of like a uh, pretty narrow-minded and wasn't really like open to stuff that wasn't brutal so i was kind of like in this like phase then where i probably didn't appreciate it as much as i should have but i remember like one of my really good friends was really into them and would play it and i didn't dislike it you know but, I, but uh yeah i definitely remember them and they definitely uh should get more uh notoriety <laughs> yeah when you were talking about old bands from baltimore and everything that just sparked my interest right there a guy never got yeah. to see them either yeah they were, they were killer the closest i came they came to allentown and i think they canceled on uh toxic voodoo tour yeah they put two albums on right that was the second yeah. one yeah that was the one that was on pavement oh yeah pavement <laughs> <laughs> gee i hear something that sounds familiar yeah i know everyone has a story about it well not everyone but i i remember them i mean they were kind of like uh you know, I mean, there was a period there in you know in the mid '90s when like a lot of death metal and it just wasn't cool anymore <laughs> for whatever reason. You know, had that burst of you know what happened in the early '90s and then it kind of fizzled a little bit and the people who weren't really into it, you know, kind of left and went on to do other things. And, and you know, there was that kind of like period of, like '95, '96, '97 when it was kind of, you know it was really back underground again. The pavement was one of the labels that kind of like was actually still active and like uh, I think Internal Bleeding uh, put out their first record with them. And, and level of creation, I think, was on there for a bit in the mid '90s. Like, you know, there's something to be said about that. Yeah, I, I, mean, I speak to their. I can't speak to the business practices. I don't know. I never dealt with them, but I've heard stories. So have I. <laughs> That's why when you said, "Oh, pavement," I went, "Oh, that sounds <laughs> like the same stories I've heard." Yeah. <laughs> 
I noticed you had Chris Prevalis on here a little while ago, so maybe I'm sure he had something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was good friends with uh, publicists at uh, at Pavement back in the day there, uh, Tammy. So, and she okay. she kind of helps me out with getting you know you know like Chris for example, and uh, we we had a setup with uh, November's Doom, but uh, I had a, a, a personal thing that I couldn't get to do it. Mm. Oh, that means I don't. Is, I, oh, sorry. What is the beer aspect of the podcast? Can I ask? <laughs> well, is it, is it part of the discussion or is it just uh, it's kind of like the background ask like you're drinking beer while it happens or yeah, they, yeah it's a little bit of both yeah really. a little bit of both we'll Dude. just kind of you know talk about what we're drinking and you know Juan's notorious for hating everything so I that's am. kind of he, he's well, more he's more of a liquor drinker than he is a beer drinker so that's the aspect we have there but you're you're we can hear you're drinking a beer what are you drinking uh right now it's uh it's called Litovel it's a Czech dark beer I prefer mm. these uh dark beers porters and uh stouts usually this is a dark um pilsner or something I don't know that was a dark lager. Sorry. Some of them Czech beers are amazing. When I lived over in the UK, I used to drink a lot of Budvar. That's like the real Budweiser. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. I mean, I'm especially, I don't know, maybe because, you know, I live pretty far north here and um, it's quite dark and cold here a lot. So I kind of gravitate towards the, as I mentioned, the darker beers and the, the stouts and the porters uh, over winter. And in summer, I kind of, then I kind of like return back to, you know, some of the more, uh, the ales and the IPAs and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Beer is definitely a seasonal thing. Thing. You find yourself yeah. craving, you know, different things at different times of the year. I mean, right now we're drinking. Um what are we drinking? Here? A little microbrew up a uh, little little bit up the road from us, uh, Willow Creek. It's a uh, West Coast IPA. That's all right. It's not that great. <laughs> West Coast, East Coast. Yeah, it's it's kind of like music. Way too many titles and classifications. <laughs> it's a little bit. Yeah. That's it. Who's got time for that? Yeah, right. I just want to drink it and get get lit up. <laughs> but I, I do have a question. Are we ever going to see a Misery Index vinyl box set that's going to be released ever? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I would love it. I mean, probably. The main thing is that, like the albums are released on different labels. Oh. Um, as far as the relapse stuff, um, I know we could do we could do that ourselves. Um, we're still pretty cool with relapse, and they're they're really good people, and they um, have given us the green light to press uh, those those uh, three albums we did with them ourselves. And we started to do that last year. We we pressed uh, Airs of Thievery on our own label, our own imprint. It's not really a label, but um, and we're gonna do Traders next. And we do have the rights to retaliate the first record. Uh, that was like a that came out on Nuclear Blast in 2003, and we got the rights back to that in 2013. So technically, we could do it. Um, two season of missed records, though, would be more difficult. They seem, I don't know if they would be open to that. I guess we could license it from them for a special vinyl thing. They would probably want, you know, it's it's possible. It'd just be really expensive, and we'd probably have to do it ourselves. So it would be cool. <laughs> I would, I would, Maybe one day. I would totally be waiting for that. I mean, I already have a lot of your stuff on vinyl to begin with, but yeah, we... We, I, I would not want to get it again. <laughs> like, we, uh, we turned into yeah. we turned into vinyl geeks, not not because it's the trendy thing, but we got offered a gig where we can do like a metal trivia at a local bar, but they wanted us to spin vinyl kind of as a you know to kind of get attention. So as a result yeah. of that, we all turned into vinyl collectors. Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great. Uh, I mean, I love I've loved it since you know I was a kid in the '80s, and I still have. I got a pretty massive collection all around, and the resurgence has been really cool. The prices have been you know gone up <laughs> quite a bit. And there's also this like kind of uh you know these the pressing plants are overloaded now it's it's just come back with such a force that I wish there would be more pressing plants to kind of like help bring the price down and, and make it more affordable for everyone and more fun but, um but it's 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 better it's been great it's like these are good days to to get into it. it's more exciting than ever like some of the cool stuff that's coming out so 
So you, you've been lugging around your vinyl collection everywhere you, cause you've, you've, you've lived in Canada and now you're in Finland. So that, that couldn't have been fun lugging that all over the place. Well, I haven't lugged it around. Like I, I have like a good chunk of it here on um, which I bring over like 50 at a time when I go back there and come back. But I still have like, I don't know, 500 or something at uh, my stepdad's house there in Maryland. So it's, they're kind of like waiting for me to bring them over, I guess. It's just been going, you know, one piece at a time, as Johnny Cash said. I, I was just going to say, like Johnny Cash. Um, <laughs> so what what, what kind of in your vinyl collection, if you don't mind, what's, what's some of the more valuable pieces that you have? Oh, I don't know, man. I guess and I guess va- I valuable of, to you I, I got a lot of uh, not a lot but a good good amount of 80s metal that I had from the 80s you know all the old stuff Celtic Frost to you know death and all like a lot of the death metal stuff from the late 80s and thrash and the speed metal stuff that's like core of it I guess and some of those I guess are pretty pricey yeah it's I always laugh at the misfit stuff it's some of the shittiest sound and stuff but it's some of the most valuable stuff as well yeah my buddy here um, actually another American guy that lives here um Ryan, he he had a, a Misfits record. He got uh, I don't know for like thirty bucks in Connecticut in the late nineties or something, and he just sold it last week for eight hundred euros, <laughs> which is like nine hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean it's it's bringing crazy money. So I mean there was for a while there some of the first couple seven inches that the Misfits put out were bringing like fifteen and twenty grand. Yeah, you know if uh, if you're a collector and you gotta have it, and you know <laughs> I guess it helps if you're wealthy and have that yeah. kind of income coming around. Yeah, right. You know? who, who the hell has 15 grand sitting around to buy a record. I don't know. Maybe somebody who inherited it or won the lottery or, <laughs> or you know, maybe they have, they worked for it. They got a company or something. They just want to put their money into uh, records rather than buying a house in Barbados. It's just such strange days like punk, you know, punk records bringing 15 grand. Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> but um, how do you find living in Finland? Did do you speak a lot of Finnish? Um, I'm okay. I'm like a intermediate level. I'm actually uh, kind of um, taking the lessons a little more seriously now because I'm trying to get my uh, Finnish citizenship. Um, and that's like a requirement for the passport is you have to pass this, a language exam. Mm. Pretty difficult. It's it's one of the hardest in the world, or so they say. So it's been uh, an interesting time. And uh, But I love it here, man. You know, I, I came here because my wife's Finnish. So um, she had her career here and everything. So it was a lot easier for me to move here. And uh, it's been great. If you can deal with the weather, I don't mind. It's uh, pretty laid back and easy, easy going. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I found Europe in general to be like that. Like I said, you know, I lived in the UK. My wife's Scottish, so we had. I definitely, nice. I definitely appreciated the people. Yeah, I mean, I miss my friends and I miss my family. Some things, but there is like a, you know, there's a lot of tension in the air in the US these days, and and I, I don't mind not being there for you know extended periods of time here. It's pretty chill. I actually opened up a record. I'm sitting in it right now. I opened up a record store here. Oh, nice. The, the other records, and um, it's uh, it's been going pretty good. So I have this kind of shop here on the side and, uh, you know, doing the music stuff as well. That's all. Are you specializing in vinyl or just pretty much anything? Cassettes and CDs and... It's, met, it's you know, it's an ex- broad, under the broad banner of extreme music, punk, hardcore, metal, you know, death metal, grindcore. We have some black metal, not a lot. There's already a black metal shop in town, so they kind of handle that. But but yeah, it's, uh you know, CD, vinyl, tapes, cassettes are huge these days. They made a huge comeback as well. <laughs> Shirts, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so are you are you right in Helsinki, like right in the middle of town, or it's in the city? It's not right in the middle. It's like more like uh, I don't know, uh, ten minutes north of center, maybe. They have a pretty good tram system here, so you get, if you get on the tram, it takes like fifteen minutes. Come up from the center. Do you do you 
find that you guys do a lot better as far as misery index do a lot better in Europe than the States? I mean, do you prefer touring Europe? I mean, without, I don't know how to make it sound like I'm not saying you don't like touring the States, but like, do you find that you'd maybe do better in Europe than the States? Yeah, it's different. Um, um, we've always had a kind of, uh, stronger presence in Europe. I think it has a lot to do with when we started. We started in the early 2000s and we were playing a kind of like grind, you know, tinged death metal, which at the time it wasn't cool. I don't think we were always, whenever we tour, we'd always be with these other bands that are playing like deathcore and stuff. And it was just, we were always kind of the odd band out on a lot of tours. And but for whatever reason, what we were doing resonated more like in Germany and, and places over over here. Um, so we found that when we toured in Europe, like the, you know, we got, we raised our stature and Europe uh, a lot faster than it did in the U.S. In the U.S., it, it kind of took like a lot longer. We toured a lot there in the 2000s and um, did a lot of cool, really diverse tours. Um, but we never really broke through then to like be a headlining band or whatever until maybe like recently. So even then, it's like it's just a different vibe. Uh, we've always enjoyed coming to Europe because it's also like, uh, I don't know if maybe some of the other people you've talked to on here have, have mentioned that it's kind of, uh, I don't know, people here are more appreciative of whatever band. So even if kind of like you're in an in a underground kind of death metal band or whatever, if you're touring here, you're like, you know, they take better care of you kind of thing. You know, they always find you a place to stay. They always get you like dinner. They always, you know, kind of take care of the bands here a lot more. It's a lot more like you're on your own in the U.S., you know, you're kind of like when you show up, promoters are really just going to do the show. They're not going to do anything else for you. So it's a lot harder to tour in the U.S. up to a certain level. Once you kind of break through and you start, I guess, doing well and, and get uh, better pay, you can you can tour a lot uh, easier in the U.S. without having to um, – <clears throat> Uh, like we did for many years, like we kind of, you know, we always stay at people's houses and try to save money here and there wherever we could. And it was really kind of rough. So we would go from that kind of really rough situation where we're like, you know, barely getting by in the U.S. on tour and then go over to Europe and then found that he, over here, like, you know, they, they would uh, make sure you always had a place to stay, you know, make sure you always got a dinner that was always on top of, you know, what money they can give you for the show. <clears throat> so long-winded answer to your question, um, yeah, you're kind of always been better for us in a way and uh and when we do tour the u.s it's always um you know we like to go on a, on a package with a bunch of other bands to try to make it more of an event kind of thing we'll see it's been a long time since we've actually toured the u.s so uh i don't know we'll see if things have changed hopefully after all this is over well it's you, you again you touched on a couple other things i wanted to get into but one was like i think the appreciation for the art is definitely a lot greater over in, in europe than it is here uh and i found that living there as well you know that people People tend to appreciate it, the artists a lot more. And then, yeah, there's a long culture here. I mean, this, like the European, like support for the arts in general is a lot stronger. You know, they, there's a lot more value. They value uh, culture a lot more. And even if it's extreme music or extreme metal, they see that as like, well, that's valid. It's, it's, you know, this is a valid form of cultural expression and should be supported. So I think it's just, it's a, yeah, it's a different ideological kind of like view of it from that. Like in the U.S., I always like, I can compare it to like the, in the U.S., when you show up to do a show, this isn't like all, all promoters, but a lot of time the feeling was like the promoter at a certain level, if you're like an underground band would look like, hey, uh, the promoter feels like they were the reason for the show happening. You know, they're the ones who like got it all together and they did this, this and that. But in Europe, it's like the other way around. Like people who do the shows look at the bands as the reason why the show is happening. And it's the kind of inverse of that that model in the U.S. where there's a lot more support and, and help for the bands to like make sure they're, they're doing okay rather than just, you know, showing up to play and leave. Yeah, right. It's And then kind of getting into the other subject, how do you like, do you guys enjoy doing the festivals a lot more than tour? 
boring per se. Like, I mean, cause I mean, those festivals over in Europe are absolutely phenomenal. It's different. It's a different vibe. I mean, um, touring's awesome. I mean, uh, it's harder, you know, as you get older, it's like to sit in a van for eight hours a day or whatever, especially if you're out West in the U S and you're just kind of like doing that grind and doing the clubs every night and making wear on you. I mean, even when you're, no matter how old you are, it's like, but it definitely gets, you feel it more after we've been doing this for like, you know, 10, 15 years, whatever, 20 years. So there's something about uh, a festival, which is, I mean, if you're just doing only festivals, it's kind of cool because you just show up and then you have a big crowd and, and you don't have to, you know, do 10, 10 shows over 10 small clubs to like kind of do the same thing but um it's a different vibe i mean you can't beat the energy of like a you know like at the auto bar or something when you have a small club i mean that's not even that small but when you have a crowd like that um just up in your face and that's that's something that can't i mean you know when you play a, a festival stage it's it's awesome but it's like also kind of you know you're so far away from the audience and it's just like and it's a kind of alienating experience maybe yeah it's definitely a lot more impersonal seeing it like the maryland death fest a few years ago and then which was was a phenomenal show but seeing you at auto bar which was a lot more personal and up close it was definitely like a, an awesome experience like we were it was great you know definitely up there yeah, it felt our good favorite to play. shows like i said two years of really not of not having to do anything it was just surreal just to be back up and, and you know hearing the because like i don't have it i don't even have an amp here like i just kind of uh i practice you know my, you know i plug into software and the computer and play along to the songs and stuff so i don't really have a chance to like feel the you know the power of the of the of the sound like you know in your body like that so it was just it'd been so long but no it was it was a great tight show like it, i mean you could barely tell you guys had been away for any amount of time I, it was just phenomenal and pit was great it was a good time yeah definitely you know we got to see some chick that was just ridiculously drunk puking through her face mask that was awesome too <laughs> <laughs> it just it was just like filtering through it shooting out everywhere <laughs> that, that poor gal tried her best to like hide it but there was no hiding that oh man yeah, the smell inside harsh, that mask. Harsh, harsh visuals. Yeah, it was, well, we were right in front of Darren, so I don't know if he even seen it. He was pretty well raging, so. <laughs> I it didn't clear clear the whole front row. I don't know. I suspect it was all over my jeans. Biohazard tape comes up. And... <laughs> so do you? did you fly in early to, to practice, to, to, to get together with everybody? I mean, did you guys have a lot of time to practice before that show? Yeah, well, it's like, uh, I mean, I scheduled uh, a week to come in. Like, I came, you know, I was going to arrive on monday and we were going to rehearse tuesday wednesday thursday um but as i said earlier like uh covid well the guys got covid so yeah. we, like, we didn't jam because we were like waiting to find out with that and then he got but he got the green light on wednesday so we actually rehearsed one time thursday rehearsed thursday night and mark yeah flew in and we started rehearsing at like i don't know 11 o'clock at night and got got some in and then had the show the following day so it was good <laughs> despite the rust <laughs> oh dude there no, was, it was great yeah there was no rust like, on our end anyway i'm sure you maybe there's things you noticed but for us it was phenomenal it was tight i mean just, other other than the, the the microphone not working for you when you were singing the first song you know which had nothing to yeah. do with you guys but i'm like whoa but <laughs> i don't it was know still what happened that. It's like definitely wasn't that way in sound check so I don't know. <laughs> no, well, the singer from No Moss was having trouble too. Like his mic wasn't working half the time. Yeah, I think it was a cable or something. But yeah, they fixed it, and, and the rock rolled on. Yes, it did indeed. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about you you run the archive. Um, send back my stamps, which is really cool. The way you have it set up, where you can just access the bands and then see different you know zines that, that they were in the articles and stuff. How did how did that idea come around? Um, that started in like 2010. Uh, 
when I started getting interested in, uh, I don't know, it's got a little nostalgic then, you know, for those, you know, the 80s and the early 90s kind of metal scene that I was a part of and uh, I remembered so fondly. And I had this big stack of zines in the, uh, you know, in a box from what, that I acquired during that time. And, and I thought it would be cool to share it, you know, to kind of like, well, I thought, well, this is like metal history sitting right here in this. And I went online at the time and I didn't see anything like it. And I thought, you know, this is all the, there's all these like great fanzines out there that have all this like killer content and like you know it's all analog of course it's all going to decay and fade away at some point so as people lose them or you know their people's <laughs> things get lost or thrown away so I just started scanning them and kind of like you know it was kind of a very you know labor intensive thing because you got to sit down and scan entire zines and then and get the files right and then kind of like catalog it and then upload it and but I just started doing it in my downtime I think we, we were still kind of doing the band like full time then and touring a lot so I would just kind of do it when I was back home and um and it started like that just kind of simple and um and I got like uh I went through what I had which is like maybe I don't know 30 or 40 zines and um then it started getting some notice and then and people started picking up on it and then I started getting contributions and people would send me their scans and then and then uh I would put them up and and it was important to me to like it not just be this kind of amorphous mass of like all these zines it was like that's that's why I wanted to kind of make it searchable in a sense I didn't I wasn't really good with that kind of stuff, but I just kind of started, you know, tagging like, oh, this scene has all these bands. So this would be cool. Like if you can click on this and see that and it would be kind of a shortcut. And it just kind of built up into this archive. And I think I have a few hundred on there now. And honestly, in the last few years, I, I didn't have haven't had as much time. So it's kind of uh, slowed down quite a bit. But I still um, get on there every now and then and add, add one. I still have a bunch of them to add. And I actually just had a redesign of the site for the first time since I started it. And it has like a new design now. Um, but I haven't I haven't had time to go through and like tweak it. But it's it's still uh it's still ongoing and, and people seem to really appreciate it. So No, it's awesome. It's cool being able to, to just go through the bands and pull up the band name and then see the different articles that they were in in the different zines. Yeah. You see all the stuff they were they regret saying and like now it's like <laughs> So some of the stuff is like, you know, back then when you're young and whatever, you say a lot of stupid shit. And, and I think some people might, might be proud of some of the things they said back then about whatever. Oof. But I don't know. Yeah, there's thank God there was no fucking internet back when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of like, yeah coming back to haunt like some i put up some of the zines and not a lot but maybe like two or three um zine editors have written to me and asked it to be taken down and i and i say that if, if you know if i'll take down anything by request um just for whatever reason they didn't want it to be uh <laughs> out there anymore that's that history will be lost well unfortunately i guess that's just some people aren't always proud of what they've done in those days like you said so yeah um, i mean i saw some of the interviews i did back then <laughs> uh dying fetus days and they were uh, <laughs> they were pretty ignorant too so oh, we as you know, we just kind of started this john big nose he was in fact you two have probably crossed paths at some yeah. point i think his he had a band called divination and i think they played with you guys we played with uh, misery at um uh crock rock with um oh uh, uh, hold on it's, it's right on the tip of my tongue um binary code and uh oh god oh what the hell's the name of that band i'm go i'm drawing a blank um rivers of nile yeah yeah we've played with them a bunch of well we started in the same area well i started 20 years before then but uh yeah um we played a lot with them i believe we might have played with you guys with rivers as well and uh i mean, we played one show i remember playing there in 2010 we were touring with, actually with dying fetus and arsis and i think i remember some bands opening up that one trying no 
because we never we never opened with, uh, we never played with Dying Fetus. I have, uh, as much of a death metal fan as I am, I have never seen Dying Fetus. Never. Okay. I, I, <laughs> it might I, have been Cannibal Corpse. That could be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we played with ca- uh, Cannibal twice. It was 2012 fall, I think. It was a Cannibal Corpse Misery Index Hour Penance tour. Oof. Yes. Yeah, we were lumped in with a. I think there was like nine openers on that. It's a festival. Yeah. <laughs> you got 20 minutes. And, uh, I hated that place. I really, I did. Oh, there's there's a, but, a guy that runs a zine called Soul Grinder Zine. His name's Paul. He lives up in Allentown, and he's trying really hard. He, he's he got access to a place called the uh, Alternative Gallery. It's like a little art gallery place, and he puts on a lot of shows. It's pretty cool. Okay. But there's not a lot going on in Allentown these days. So And back to the fanzine thing, I, I, I might have crossed paths with you on that as well. I used to, back in the early 90s, I had a zine called uh, Today's Underground and Morbid Voice. Okay. I know we, we did some uh, some reviews of Dying Fetus back then, and uh, I think our, our one guy that wrote it with me, uh, Joe, he uh, he interviewed uh, Dying Fetus. There was a band from there we, we were pretty tight with. We brought them down to play in, in Maryland one time called Ossuary. Yes. Yes, I know them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were really yeah. good. Yeah, we brought them down I, to Wilmer's Park, actually, uh, in 94, I think. <laughs> I was the only band I really knew from that area at the okay. time. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. Do you know Supremia? Oh, yeah, yeah. They used I to play. They up, from Jersey. Yeah, yeah from they, Jersey. Used, they used to play up in Reading a lot. There, used, there was a club up here called Unisound they used to play at. Right on. I mean, yeah, uh, in, in Divination, uh, we had the bass player from uh, In Satanity for a little while as well. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. I still got my In Satanity demos. Oh, they were so great. <laughs> we, yeah. We had, uh, um, Rivers, we had Brody on not that terribly long ago. They're, they're, they're another band that's really really taking the death you know death metal in a different direction and getting a lot more attention for yeah. it. Yeah, we toured with them in uh I think it was right when they first put their first record out in 2015. We did a tour with them and um Hate Eternal. That was a lot of fun. They're really cool guys and I'm glad they're uh, doing good. Yeah, we're actually in a couple of weeks the guy that shot their their latest two videos is coming on the podcast. He's a friend of ours, so that that'll be pretty interesting. All right, on. You guys and and Asfix are on the hit list. So we're we're still working on the Asfix one. That's that's been a bit of loose for us really i i know the guitar is pretty good yeah we've been trying to get anyone from asfix on and the label keeps kind of redirect i mean we're not exactly a mainstream podcast either so right on well good luck with that i, I could send a message over oh and the other thing was wanted to kind of touch on was your book extremity retained uh if you yeah want. sorry no no it's uh that was like kind of like a part of that same time period when i started doing the send back my stamps um you know 20 2010 2011 20 i was uh you know we're on tour a lot and had a lot of down time you know when usually when you're waiting to play in some town or whatever backstage or out in the van or whatever and uh the idea just came to me to start you know as an extension of kind of that, that archive project to start doing a kind of oral history of the you know the early death metal scene which i didn't really see that at the time you know there was uh albert's book uh choosing death which is really cool and um a few other anecdotal kind of ones but i kind of wanted to do something more concrete and it was like more definitively like in the voice of the of those who were present at the creation kind of thing and make it a series like a true oral history of like uh of stories you know that kind of when taken together comprise like a you know a really rich kind of history of what happened so 
just started uh, interviewing uh, death metal notables, you know, in my travels. As you mentioned earlier, those, those kind of European festivals, for example, you know, we'd find ourselves backstage on a day we play. And this is, is usually these kind of like, you know, catering areas where everyone's hanging out and you know, there's tables around everywhere. And you, you look around, it's like a who's who of like metal history in those kind of places. So it was like perfect time to, you know, do some ambush kind of interviews for the book. So I'd carry around with me like a uh, you know, digital recorder and target the, you know, the people that I thought would have to say and, and, and talk about specifically the death metal scene and the death metal underground and how it came into being in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and uh, you know, I would ask them and tell them what I was doing and, and then just kind of go through and, and start collecting these stories. And I did it for a few years until it kind of reached critical mass and I had like you know, like a hundred contributors and, and then I just started organizing them all and, and, and putting, seeing, you know, these kind of threads between the stories and like, and uh, started to bring them all together and form chapters out of them and things like that. So it, it was a labor of love and uh, it took about three years and I got that out in uh, 2014 and it's out of print now. I don't know if it's going to be published again. We'll see what happens, but I think you can get it, uh, you can get it a digital version if you're looking for that. But um, right now it's, it's been sold out. Yeah, we've. I think Juan just. I just. Sco- I just scored a copy. copy yeah. Right on. Yeah, right. Uh, right before Christmas, it was a good, good present. <laughs> yeah, if you keep Where'd an you- eye on eBay, you can find a good deal on it. I do. Oh, have, right on. I do have a death metal question for you, and this is like the the fight of the century right now, uh, as I see all over the internet. Um, who was the first death metal band? Was it Possessed or Death? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, you can go back and and, and make you know and go in reverse. You can kind of go back and see see the you know where the threads go and the roots, and you can follow them back. But I remember at the time, like you know, it wasn't. A such a thing as death metal it was just you know it was all speed metal and, and thrash metal and kind of like dark thrash or something i don't know but um you know i mean <laughs> i never I, mean, I remember possessed back then and even you know bands like bathory I mean, they weren't death metal of course but just those ones that were just beyond you could tell that they weren't like straight up three speed or thrash metal in the traditional sense whatever was traditional then probably the wrong word to use conventional maybe but um i mean my opinion I think yeah there could be a claim you know for possessed seven churches you know that death Definitely was influenced, I think, on Death even, and you know, in Mantis as well. And there were other bands that kind of like were doing stuff in the underground at the time, like uh, Necrovore in Texas. And um, and I always felt like Dark Angel to me was kind of like a proto death metal band. Um, so I mean, I think it's if you say Death, it doesn't make sense to say Death like you know was the first like pure kind of like unquestionably a death metal band. The vocals, everything was in there. It was just like it wasn't. It was distinct because it, it definitely wasn't thrash in a sense anymore in, in that conventional sense so I would lean towards death um, even though Possessed I think could equally you could say was probably doing that as well there was just something about I don't know the music like the certain the song structures and how death approached approached it that was like more definitively like a I don't know how that kind of death metal uh, um, stylistic like songwriting approach that was more definitively separate from speed metal and Chuck never was- wanted it to be like he, he didn't even think that they should be called death metal on that one yeah in that one uh, documentary. documentary we watched. I'm like, what? Yeah, with well, those labels, I mean, they transcend what any one person wants. It's always like, you know, it's just it's just something that people start to use at terms people start using and they kind of catch on and, and you know, and then and then, then that's what it is. Uh, I mean, that, that, it, but, that definitely, you know, touches on it. Like, you know, in the early days, everything was death metal. You had, you know, napalm death, carcass, and then all of a sudden it started kind of, well, no, that's grindcore and this is this and this is that. I, yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> 
I, I, I do got another uh, quick uh, death metal history question for you. Would you would you say yes to the first death metal vocal was the Who burst the spider? <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps. I told you we go into some crazy nonsense <laughs> here. I don't know. I don't know. I can't re- even really remember that song right now. Actually, so I don't. I can't really comment on it. Okay. <laughs> I know the name and I know the Who, but I, I can't remember what that song. It almost sound. It almost is like a macabre song from like sounding like you know from the sixties because it tells a little story about you know a spider and. Next thing you know, he just... To wrap this nonsense up that we're throwing at you, um, we do appreciate your time. We're all huge fans. We look forward Thanks. to the new album and the new tour, and we're so glad you took the time to talk to us. My pleasure. Thanks for doing the podcast and uh, supporting uh, you know, this music we love in whatever way you can, and been, uh, been killer. Sure. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, thanks again, Jason. Thank you. Yep. Cheers.